millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do you think there's a rap album out there somewhere called Punch Crunk Love? Some kid probably in high school. Some you? kid. It's an adult that's, idea. Adult idea only because the word crunk ages you immediately. You don't think the kids are saying crunk anymore? I mean, I mean that was our senior that was our senior year word in high school. I know that was your official word. We literally crunk. had our, class our of official T-shirts were class of crunk, and crunk means <laughs> <No>. crazy drunk. <laughs> yes, we were the class of crunk. I can't believe your school allowed you to do that. I don't think they knew what it yeah, meant. <laughs> I think that I think the word was new enough at the time that the, they were just the like we're crunk. Adults were like, we don't even know what the hell that means. They didn't have UrbanDictionary.com. <laughs> When did Google become really big? Because I also don't think in high school we were just Googling no, shit. No, I used Ask Jeeves and then I used Yahoo before wow, I ever really used getting old. Google. Okay. I remember when Google became a term, I was like, I guess I should start using that because it seems like people are, it's becoming popular. Is your thing recording now? No, I said rolling like four minutes ago <laughs> as Jack was talking about crunk. <laughs> okay, here we go. By 2001, P.T. Anderson was touted as a wonderkind. His films Magnolia and Boogie Nights and Heart Eight had folks wondering. What's the next big coked out three hour long masterpiece from this whiz kid? God, he's got a lot of energy. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson was a big fan of Adam Sandler's comedies. <laughs> like Billy Madison, Big Daddy, and his latest little Nicky. So he went and cast him in the lead role of his scaled down pudding centric phone sex deal in romance comedy 
Punch drunk love, 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 punch drunk love. We're talking punch drunk love, 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 punch drunk love. The most surprising thing of all. It's only 90 minutes long, so here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And with us, as always, is the pudding man of this podcast, <laughs> Corey Clifford. Oh, yeah. Corey did get us a great-ass deal on some flights this week. I really did. She worked the system like Barry Egan with those pudding coupons. Two round-trip tickets to Little Rock, which is a hard place to get to, for $200. Two round trip tickets total for two hundred dollars. For yes, that would normally cost twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean they're not round trip tickets; they are one way, one way, one way, one way. But we're getting round trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a a flaw in the promo. Well, there kind of was. Southwest had a crazy deal on buying points, mm-hmm. and we also had. And some I had a vouchers. coupon code that I found, and I had some vouchers, and I had some points because we were stuck in that uh, that beginning of 2023 Southwest nightmare where we didn't get to fly and that we ended up getting $250 each in vouchers. So mm, all that stuff. That. 2023 combined. started as shit and I can't wait to get rid of this year. It hasn't been the greatest year. No, absolutely not. What's the biggest disappointment of 2023 for you? Too many to name. <laughs> I can't even answer that question without crying. <laughs> no. It's been all pits and no peaks. Yeah. We need some peaks. We need some peaks. Uh, well, speaking of peaks, each week we take a close look. <laughs> Change the subject. Change the subject. <laughs> Quick. At one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end... We'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be tossed into the street like a vintage harmonium. I wanted one of those so damn bad. You kind of had one. I never had a harmonium. I had an or- I had an organ. You had an organ that looked similar. But it was hey, like an electric organ. Hey, really quick, organ. you guys. Hmm. I have a peek. This okay. podcast. That's we true. started this, this podcast, podcast was started this in 2023. Year. Justin was like mm-hmm. one of the lowest pits. Mm-hmm. I was one of the pits for Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the organ. You did have a huge organ that's so heavy and so sad that we don't have here because you used to make a lot of music on it. I went to a good home though. I used to have a lot of instruments. My the what my discovery of instrument was the melodica that n- nobody else I knew had. Did you know a lot of people with organs? No, you could find one in any given church. But a melodica you blew into. I had like a little I hose. Know. I'm aware. Well, for the listeners. Oh, got it. And it sounds like a melodica could have been used in some of the score. It really did. Now that you point that out. Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about 2002's Punch Drunk Love. Hi, this is 
Georgia. This is Barry Egan. So what do you do, Barry? I have my own business. Uh, we have a non-breakable handle. Let me demonstrate for you. You're married, aren't you? No. Barry, what's your sister? There's this friend of mine from work, and I want you to meet her. This is Lena. Hi. Hi. Do you have a girlfriend? No. It must be weird for you to have so many sisters. Uh, actually, no, it's very nice. This is Barry. Hey, it's Georgia. How did you get this number? I was wondering if maybe you could help me out with some money. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You've just made a war for yourself that you can't afford. I'm going to Hawaii on Friday. Hawaii? I was thinking about going there. Really? You canceled your credit card. That's a bunch of bull! Get your supervisor on the phone! Yeah. What's your name, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Are you threatening me? Yes. That wasn't good! You're dead! And all at once I knew, I knew, I knew. You have so much strength in me, you have no idea. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. We have finally hit a trailer on the podcast that's good. Interesting. I'm not so sure it's good. Really? Oh my gosh, that trailer got... If I would have just heard that, got me excited. Well, I was going to say, I feel like this is a movie that to me, benefits from not having a trailer. Yeah. I, well, it's it's. I, I think it's just too weird of a movie to really sell. It is giving away a lot of the good parts. Maybe it's because I just watched the movie. It could have been, wor- I think what Corey's getting at is it could have been one of those like Adam Sandler stars yeah. in <laughs> yeah. Punch Drunk Love. Something's wrong with Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Barry has too many sisters. <laughs> and he loves pudding. <laughs> yes. Will pudding save the day? <laughs> Do y'all remember when this was in theaters? No. No. I I the I remember seeing a trailer one time for it and then thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm curious in that movie." I was I didn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson was. I was just curious from the from the Sandler of it all. Um and then cut to months later walking into Blockbuster and it was just on the shelf in the new releases and I was like, "Wait, this movie came and went already?" Like I didn't even know and I was following movies. And so it was a shock to me that it had like come and gone and maybe it never came to Arkansas potentially. Yeah. It feels like an Adam Sandler movie though would come everywhere. But I don't know if they really I don't know if this got the typical Adam Sandler treatment. It, yeah. It didn't do well in theaters. It, it didn't make very much money at all. It was considered a bomb. I want Paul Thomas Anderson to put Adam Sandler in a movie again for many reasons, but because I feel like back then, maybe people were like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to be serious now? Whereas like now, I feel like people really like when mm-hmm. comedians do that, specifically Adam Sandler. People are like, so hardcore rooting for him in that type of way. I think we definitely live in a time now where it's much more common for uh, an actor in one genre to cross over into another genre, but it was definitely weird to people back then watching like the Charlie Rose interviews and stuff like that. Everybody's commenting on it in a way of like, this is unbelievable. Well, I think it is. It's kind of reminds me of when we talked about Jim Carrey because he like Adam Sandler, similar to Jim Carrey, Mm -hmm is like the most famous comedy actor of this time. We don't really have actors like that anymore yeah. who just do one thing. But like Adam Sandler was like, I mean, Very arguably much like our childhood comedian. 
Were you really into uh, Adam Sandler, Justin? No, we weren't an Adam Sandler household. I laughed when I would see uh, his movies at Friends House and Bits and Pieces, but I never, I, it's not that I wasn't allowed to, it was kind of like, do you really want to? Yeah. Do you really want to watch <laughs> That's this? That's interesting. So you didn't, you, you never went through like a, a, a Sandler phase. No, everyone around me did. Yeah. And I was familiar with all of his movies. I knew anytime a new one came out, but there was just this like stigma around him in our house. And we weren't, we weren't like an SNL family either. I wasn't, we weren't like watching, wasn't watching Adam Sandler on SNL whenever <clears throat> that era was. So he kind of was just this like obnoxious guy who yells and screams and and <laughs> tackles people yeah. while mm-hmm. playing golf. And I don't look at it like I missed much, but at the same time, I'm grateful that those aren't the only Adam Sandler movies I like. Cause I feel like a lot of Adam Sandler fans just love that and don't mm-hmm. care about punch drunk love or his performance and, Uncut Gems or anything like that, but um, I like Adam Sandler when he's doing Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love. I don't really care for him when he's like screaming at children. <laughs> yeah, me, I'm a big fan of both. <laughs> I, I mean, like he was huge to me in my childhood. Uh-huh. Happy Gilmore was the first Happy one that Gilmore I saw. Happy Gilmore is the one that like was I think because it was about golf. Yeah, <laughs> it played at. My like grandparents' house because my grand my granddad was like a bit huge into golf, mm-hmm. and so that was like the movie that like he liked and all of the cousins. So we watched that movie nonstop. Yeah, Happy Gilmore was one that, unlike Jim Carrey, was able to break through to my parents too. Yeah. Like I remember watching it and hearing them cackle in a way that they didn't do with like Ace Ventura. Yeah, and I remember thinking Happy Gilmore was the funniest shit I'd ever seen. <laughs> like just couldn't breathe laughing so hard at it. And then when I watched Billy Madison. I remember thinking this is the weirdest movie I'd ever seen because it's really surreal in its comedy, Uh but also thinking it was hysterical. And I watched those two movies constantly. And I remember when Big Daddy came out in theaters, I was very excited for it. And I loved Big Daddy. I loved Big Daddy. I was big into his comedy albums too. I thought his songs were super funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wedding Singer wasn't big in your house? Wedding Singer is huge. That was my favorite of all of them. Yeah. Wedding Singer and Fifty First Dates, I loved. Billy Madison still makes me laugh. You know, don't get me wrong. I just uh, didn't really. It wasn't obsessed about it the yeah. same way that other people did. That era of SNL comedians, like who transition into movies, like Michael, Mike Myers, Michael Myers, and even after that with like Will Ferrell, I don't care about them. I don't find them that funny. It's not my. My style of Austin Powers of humor. wasn't you were that wasn't a thing for you. I I f- it was fine, but yeah. again, it was just like this is stupid. It shocks me a little bit because I feel like especially when I first met you, comedy was very uh, important to you in a lot of ways. Like you liked being funny, and you you had this sort of like two thousand and nine or whenever it was we met you were pretty in touch with what was going on comedically then so it surprises me a little bit that you weren't like plugged into the comedy of like our our teenage years quite as much yeah my comedy my desire to make people laugh came very intrinsically early on like a second kind of developed around second grade when i realized 
um, that I could make people laugh, and it was a great way to get attention when you were a dork and nobody <laughs> like saw you mm-hmm. or recognized you in any way, shape, or form as a human being. <laughs> so you were in competition um, with I, these movies. <laughs> it was just like an accidental thing. I was never emulating Jim Carrey. I was never emulating comedians or comedy movies. I was just like experimenting with stuff in class. How can I get a laugh? How can yeah. I? make people um like me yeah <laughs> through comedy and through putting myself in vulnerable situations where i risk getting in trouble and that was the first time a teacher called home. second grade my dad got a phone call that um i was a class clown and i remember coming home that day and my mom was like your dad wants to see you and he was upstairs and i went upstairs and the bedroom was completely dark and my dad was sitting in his like armchair in the back corner of the room and he was like i don't remember the details but in my mind it was something like close the door oh my god and he was like i got a phone call today that you're a class clown and he was like what's a class clown <laughs> He asked you what a class clown was? No, he knew. He was like, you know, messing with me. But he made it, let's just say he made it clear that he will never get a phone call like that ever again. See, I thought where this is going was like the teen wolf thing where like the dad reveals that he's been a wolf too. And I thought when you walked into the room, he was going to turn the lamp on and he was going to be in full clown makeup and be like, you must suppress this. Your mother can never know. (laughs) You're a clown like me, Justin. It was like that thing that you love that makes you who you are, bury it. Don't ever let me get a phone call. Bury it deep. Wow. Oh, and I still still found a way. Still pushed it. You did. You did. Uh, Yeah, well, that's interesting because you kind of have the perspective I think a lot of adults in the year 2002 had, which was... I hate Adam Sandler, and I'm shocked at how much I like Punch Drunk Love. That was a lot of the stuff that I found in the research. Yeah, but I'm not saying I hate him. No, I, I never no. hated him. But you you probably would have looked down on the idea of an Adam Sandler movie at that time. I would have, but it wouldn't have been my own opinion. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was instilled within you. copying what my parents told me. For the podcast listeners, I do just want them to know that Justin started this cod podcast by eating creme brulee, <laughs> then switched to a full pickle and is now eating a banana. <laughs> this is the strangest assortment of food. And, and is that dinner or is that like post dinner? That's comedy, snackage? Justin. That's comedy right there. Don't, don't slip on that banana peel. I don't care about <laughs> nourishing my body. I just want to make you laugh. Speaking of, how are you feeling? Did it update the audience. I'm on antibiotics. So the pickle was to add healthy gut bacteria. <laughs> the creme brulee we was for working outside today, um, lifting heavy things, so my muscles keep cramping. So I'm mm. eating the banana Get for that some potassium. Potassium. And what was the creme brulee mm. for? For sweet, sweet <laughs> for your <joy>. spirit. <laughs> <laughs> for my de- my my crippling depression. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Isn't Paul Thomas Anderson like? Wasn't he like? Obviously, he's married to Maya Rudolph, but. Wasn't he like really big fan of SNL and yes. like was always there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, the way he um, got Adam Sandler to do this movie was he had just done Magnolia with Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman was being the guest on SNL. Mm-hmm. 
So he got to go to SNL with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And he was like, I got to meet Adam Sandler. I'm a huge fan of him. Talked to him there. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to shoot this movie, Little Nicky. You should come to set. So he came to the Little Nicky set. Quentin Tarantino is in Little Nicky. He plays like a short part in it. God. Quentin Tarantino was also thinking about Adam Sandler as the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Now, this is 2001. He was already writing Inglorious Bastards, and he was already fishing to get Adam Sandler to play the bear Jew. And Paul Thomas Anderson said that when he went on set, he saw Tarantino and Tarantino like in his full costume came up and was like, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I came here to see Adam. He's like, why are you here to see Adam? <laughs> he's like, I'm just like, I like him. I'm a big fan. I want to talk to him. And he's like, you better not be trying to poach Adam for you. And he was like, and I got Adam for my movie. He didn't get him for Inglorious Bastards. It took wow. him too long to write the movie. Wow, that's funny. Um, yeah, they they hung out on Little Nicky, and he was like, basically told him, like, I'm going to write a part for you because I'm just inspired and he said it was like he had, he had been spending so much time in the cancer world with magnolia mm -hmm. that he was using adam sandler's comedies as like the chicken soup to his sickness you know mm -hmm. he was like he was i would watch billy madison i would watch big daddy and it would make me feel better and that's what gave me the idea of like i need to work with this guy also 2001 i don't know he might have already had this all written by then but that's when him and maya rudolph met and oh, he was falling in he, love. Who knows? He could have met Maya Rudolph at that SNL. That's I don't know if true. she was there at that point, but. I don't know. But could have been. They have like a thousand babies now. Mm -hmm. How cute. I feel like I talk about the year 2002 a lot on this podcast, and I'm realizing it was a pretty crucial year of like discovery for me. I think it was like really when I found a lot of cinema. And the, I had never seen a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I had heard of him in the year 2002. I'd always heard, I'd seen on like lists and stuff, you got to see Magnolia. Um, how are you, because there wasn't the internet the way that it was, how are you finding this? So there was this? the internet, but it was like, for me at least, it was basically just IMDb. So I would just go on IMDb and IMDb at that time, I think they still do, but at that time, the message boards on IMDb were a source of, it was like a forum. I forgot that you used to be really big into message board, like movie message boards. Yeah. And this is even pre that. So before I ever found message boards, um, I found the IMDb like comments section. So I would go to movies and I would look at the filmographies of actors and directors and stuff. But then with the, under the movies, it would be comments and you could sort of dig in there to find people talking about other movies. And then I would sort of make little lists. And so Magnolia was one of those movies that kept popping up and I knew it was really long. So it was like one of those, I was like, I'm going to see it at some point, but I'm not like rushing to see it. And, um, like I said, I'd seen the trailer for this movie one time and was curious about it, but then it totally passed me by. And I remember seeing it in Blockbuster and being like, oh, it's there. I'm going to rent it. And I had this feeling in my head of like, I shouldn't watch this one with my friends. I just had a gut feeling based on my memory of the trailer that like I might be better off watching this one alone. Which one? Sorry, this one or Magnolia? Punch Drunk Love. Oh, Punch Drunk it. Love. And I remember having very confused feelings about it. N really nothing negative, but just... 
ultimately feeling like I'd never seen anything like this movie. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the next day deciding to watch it again. And did y'all ever do this? Sometimes when I would watch a movie twice, I would watch the second time in a different spot. So I remember watching it the first time up in my room, but then the next day being like, I'm going to watch this in the living room today. No. <laughs> you don't do that? <laughs> it's so sweet and cute how you're talking about this. I'm like, this is so wild. 2002, what, we're in seventh grade? 14, 14. So maybe eighth grade. I'm like, I was not thinking about things like this at all. I was. I know. (laughs) I know. You're so sweet. Uh, And I remember after the second time watching it the next day, I was like, I officially love this movie. And then that sent me on my journey of being like, now I've got to watch Magnolia. Now I've got to see everything this guy's done. It's an interesting one to get introduced to him through because it's a kind of a departure stylistically from uh, especially what he had done before. This movie, almost more than any, is one that I've talked to people about throughout my life. And it's one of those that repeatedly has the same story where people saw it when it first came out and didn't like it. And then I go, well, when is that the only time you saw it? And they say, yeah. And I go, go back and revisit it. And then they do. And they're like, wow, that movie's awesome. I don't know what I was thinking the first time. Have you had that? Have you noticed that about this movie? Yeah, but I feel like equally you still get some people who are like on the fence about it. Yeah. I don't think that this is an easy recommendation. Interesting. I think for you and me it is. Like you and me, if you know someone, if you knew me and I yeah. had not seen it, you would know You're that's an love easy it. recommendation. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to love it. And that's who I'm talking but to mostly in these situations. I think I still get people who are like, I just don't get it. What was that about? And the charm and the cuteness of it is maybe not enough for everybody. Right. Because they're so, they're left so like bewildered by what they just experienced. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because this movie is so anxiety inducing. And yet I also think of this as such a feel good movie too. Well, it's genuinely romantic. Yeah. To me, something can be this anxiety inducing if the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to like talk about what this movie means to all of us to me even like i can't it doesn't necessarily congeal into something that makes sense once you sit with it for a little bit yeah but i think i can enjoy regardless i can enjoy the movie for just what it is and how Mm -hmm. it makes me feel Mm -hmm. and the colors and the sounds and the emotions and that's okay for me i don't need uh, to have that answer right of like this is definitively what the movie was about oh, and this yeah. is why he's so weird and this is why this this yeah and that. Like, i don't think this movie's interested in all in answering those questions yeah. I, th- I think uh this is paul thomas anderson at his most lynchian yeah david lynch makes his movies very much in a way where he like he dreams up images he thinks of things he does not define an answer to them he does not define a meaning to them he just knows they mean something and so he he puts those in his movies and he says, you figure it out. And, I, and he often will say, I don't have an answer. Like, I don't know what it means. I just thought of it and it felt powerful. I think this movie is all that, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't have answers for the things that he's putting in this movie, but it's a fairly surreal film with a lot of creative touches that are not based in any kind of logic or reality. I think it's an emotional based movie for me this is like i think one of the best movies ever made for a long time this was my favorite paul thomas anderson movie and may still be every now and then i kind of fluctuate that's kind of what i thought while watching it and it made me kind of think because i have had the memory of this being like a lot of people's like oh this is not a paul thomas anderson like normal type of movie or Mm -hmm. whatever and then i was like well that's interesting because jackie brown's my favorite quentin tarantino movie Mm. and 
Punisher and Glove, I don't know. We'll discuss as we get into it. But I very specifically remember when you showed me Paul Thomas Andrews, like the movies that really stand out in my brain of when we first started hanging out that you introduced me to that like I was like, holy shit, we're Bottle Rocket, Mm -hmm. Magnolia, Buffalo 66, Kids. There's a couple (laughs) other lists of things. Mm -hmm. But I remember when you showed me Magnolia, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And after the first time of watching, I was like, this is my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. Like I was just so blown away. I'd never seen anything like that was just insane and for years and years and years i would have said magnolia was my favorite movie yeah i have not watched that movie in so many years now that i really want to rewatch it but i remember when you showed me punch drunk love afterwards i immediately really really loved it Mm -hmm. and watching it this time thinking well maybe actually this is my favorite paul thomas anderson also to the beauty of punch drunk love it's a sweet sweet thank you one hour 35 Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. yes unlike the rest of i know i know movies yeah very hours and two days (laughs) very intentional his his first three films indulgent he he was indulgent he was young He got really screwed over on Hard Eight and came into Boogie Nights with this venom of like, I'm going to make a three-hour NC-17 movie about the porn business and take it or leave it. If you want the movie, that's the movie that's going to be. He got to make the movie the way he wanted. It did well enough to secure him final cut on Magnolia. And so going into Magnolia with final cut, he was like, I'm not going to take notes from anybody. I'm going to make the most self-indulgent, epic Crazy, and that movie has crazy surreal stuff too. I mean, that's it's everybody knows about the frogs. You know, that movie has yeah. all sorts of wild shit in it too. And I think coming into Punch Drunk Love, he was conscious about what his reputation had become, and he had kind of exercised his demons. And I think he kind of felt like I'm sort of ready to chill out a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was saying even before he wrote this movie, my next movie is going to be a tight ninety minutes, and he came through with that. And even at the, uh, he went to, he took Magnolia to Khan and at the Khan press conference, they said, um, what actors do you want to work with next? And he said, Daniel Day-Lewis and Adam Sandler. And his next movie would be Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. And then the one after that would be There Will Be Blood. So he called all his shots. What would happen if you switched Daniel Day-Lewis and Adam Sandler in those two roles? That'd be really interesting. Uh, uh, It would not work for There Will Be Blood. Can you even imagine? Uh, I I kind of stumbled on something that I'm curious to to talk to y'all about. You know, Lee Unkridge? He's the Pixar director who did like, Finding Nemo and Toy Story 3 and Coco and stuff. He did a Criterion Closet and he pulled up uh, Punch Drunk Love because it's on the Criterion Collection, which is what I watch this movie on. I watched it on my Criterion Collection Blu-ray and it's pretty amazing. I love it. But he had an interesting story in the Criterion Closet. He said that he's friends with the sound designer of this movie, whose name is Gary Rydstrom. And he said one day he was talking to Gary Rydstrom about Punch Drunk Love And Gary Rydstrom said an interesting thing when he was working with Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson was really into this idea that there were aliens observing the story from just outside of the frame. And he was constantly encouraging the sound designers to play with that idea and use that in the sound design and rewatching the movie with that in mind. This this is the first time I've ever watched the movie with having had seen that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I saw it all over the movie. The lens flares, those sort of like close encounters of the third kind mm-hmm. lens flares that are all through this movie. The the Jeremy Blake artwork that oftentimes kind of looks like constellations and stars. And there's even moments in the movie that kind of feel like a B movie. There's a very specific moment. You remember the moment when the brothers kidnap Barry and they throw him in the back of the truck? Yes. And they drive off. The truck drives off and there's the spotlight on the street that's sitting there for a second, and then the spotlight follows the truck. It goes, just like a fucking alien beam, Mm. being like, okay, gotta go, follow this truck. And I thought that was really interesting that I don't think he's trying to get us to think that at all. Uh -uh. But it's very clearly something that he was talking to his crew about. And you could maybe make an argument that there's some sort of hidden alien meaning behind all this stuff. And I've seen stuff when I started Googling around about it, I've seen that there's some theories that Emily Watson is an alien. Um, She has alien qualities. That is for sure. But it's something I'd never thought about while watching the movie before. And uh, I'm more interested in it just as the idea that like, you can just have sort of an inspiration Mm -hmm. in your mind as a filmmaker, even if you don't want it to necessarily come through literally you know i don't i highly doubt that he paul thomas anderson really has an interpretation that like emily watson is an alien yeah or that there are actual maybe in his mind he's like i like the idea that there are aliens watching this and i wanted to kind of pop that in there but i don't think it's necessary to the story but for me it's a permission to like take any inspiration that you have while you're making something and just inject it and you don't have to find an answer for it you know you don't have to like tie it in in some way has paul thomas anderson ever talked about nope, this not that See, I, can I wonder find. if that's something that he would be like i didn't want people to know that he may not, or something yeah, he may you not. know because yeah. it feels like i mean that's really cool mm-hmm but it also feels like something that if you were the director, I could also see being like embarrassed by, by like, oh, uh, that's not, I don't want people to view it that way. Like, that's was, just I like my. I was high on so much <laughs> yeah, cocaine I when I said that. <laughs> like, there's something that feels like, oh, maybe that was just meant for like. Obviously the was. inside yeah, I mean, he, and not really. I don't think he's ever, ever gone on any record of saying anything about aliens. Um, and from what I could find, that's the one and only person like from the crew. Because I was. I listened to an interview with Robert Ellsworth, the cinematographer. He never mentioned it. I listened to or watched an interview on the DVD with John Bryan. He never mentioned it, but it tracks. Did the message boards or whatever where you saw people theorizing about it, did those all come after this interview? No. No, oh, those are those are those have been around for many, many years. And this Criterion Closet, I think, is maybe like four years old. Mm. Um, there's also a theory, too, that Barry is Superman. I hate the theory. It's the, even the things about it are stupid to me, but there's been a lot of theories about this movie. I think simply because it's so surreal and doesn't have logical answers to things. And so it sort of inspires people to want to come up with answers like that, which I love. That's what movies See, should Corey, do. When, whenever we bring up like romantic comedies and stuff like that, this, this is what I think of when I think of like, what's a romantic comedy for justin i think it's this actually is- a great pairing of when harry met sally and of this because i also totally think of this as a romantic comedy yeah going back to your earlier question like what maybe makes people hung up and i'm not saying this from my own experience mm-hmm. but i'm wondering if maybe some people are confused about why emily watson is attracted to mm-hmm. barry egan only because he's so childlike and she is such a adult woman yeah like she has this 
presence with her of like a sexy teacher mm-hmm. and he has the <laughs> presence of a little baby in a blue suit <laughs> yeah it's true and, and i don't say that in a way to dismiss the charm or the romantic elements of the movie that's not where i find the comedy in the film is like wow look how polar opposite they are yeah somehow it works yeah however it does need to be pointed out that it's not like he is the most typical leading man, and I'm grateful for that. I'm yeah. tired of seeing that trope, but it is probably something that bewilders people. Yeah, I don't think he's as weird as maybe people. I mean, yes, he obviously is weird, but like when he's with her, when they're like having conversations, he is charming. Like yeah. he's charming her. She's like laughing at all of his jokes, and like I think he's just profoundly lonely. Mm-hmm. I think the movie at times implies that they are more alike. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you have like the sort of more obvious stuff like later on in the movie, their sort of lovey-dovey talk involves like saying like, I want to gouge your eyeballs out and eat them and smash your head in with a sledgehammer. You know, to find another person that would be down to have that kind of lovey-dovey. That's not how you talk to Corey? <laughs> <laughs> not when we're being lovey-dovey. <laughs> Just when I'm really mad at her. Yeah. <laughs> actually send help please (laughs) but also too like barry's apartment is like totally bare and blank which i think implies that he's just like sort of uninspired and lonely but when you get glimpses of her apartment it's like bare and blank too so maybe it's some sort of implying she's uninspired and lonely and there's like a kindred spiritness between the two of them she's obviously a little bit more socially well, I don't know. He's got a pretty good social life as a co, like at his job. Yeah. If you look at like his work life, like he is running a successful business mm-hmm. and like all the people that work for him seem to admire him. Yeah, seem to like him. He's, um, he starts a trend of wearing suits. Oh my God. I'm a, I also kind <laughs> of think Guzman. Louis, Louis Guzman is like, steals the show he's every so time he's on screen he barely has any dialogue he's but he's in so a lot of the movie fucking funny the way he just he's such a good actor the way he just looks at adam sandler mm-hmm. like every time they're on screen together and like that's I, their relationship is one of my favorites of the whole movie yeah. because they're he's never like you're an idiot barry he's always like okay barry like i'm along for the ride great I totally mm-hmm. understand like it's just like encouraging of barry the yeah. whole time and feels like admires him because he starts wearing the suit. He goes with him to yeah, get the pudding. Yeah, he's on board for all of the things. It's just <laughs> so the, good. The moment when Luis Guzman falls on the chair, was that scripted? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's so... It's, it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it being something that maybe happened on accident, but then they were like, let's continue to do it throughout. Like, let's make yeah. it happen in the other takes, you know? Moments like that, like this is my comedy. Yeah. It is a very serious movie that takes itself very seriously and somebody f- slips and falls. Yeah. Like like falls in a chair. And then those moments where this obviously is scripted, but when he's testing out oh my the God. new yeah. plunger and it shatters, like that stuff gets into my soul it's so or when philip seymour so hoffman just starts screaming shut up and you're like he probably yeah. added like 10 more shut ups than were written and yeah. it's so i said this funny. to Corey. i was like philip seymour hoffman's whole performance in this movie feels like the performance of somebody just trying to make their friend laugh like i can just yeah. feel him <laughs> everything i'm gonna do i'm gonna try to get paul to crack up behind the camera with everything and i'm sure that's the way it was him and luis guzman are like 
you know, one his part of his ensemble of actors that he uses all the time. So I'm sure he just brought them in to just be like, you guys are just going to kind of hang around the corners of this movie and just make sure things are feeling good. Ugh, and it works. <laughs> I'm also reminded Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this and, and his comedic chops remind me of some elements of him in Along Came Polly. I was just yes. going to say that, <laughs> Justin. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> such an uh, not probably not a great movie but like you can just youtube for anyone who hasn't seen along came polly just youtube philip seymour Hoffman, yeah. along came polly best moments you'll find and you can the just watch a reel and die laughing. isn't that where the word shark came from that's where i first learned it for sure i learned it from that yeah <laughs> you brought up the plunger smashing um, sequence that's uh that's one of the uh Superman theories is that the plunger he he says it's unbreakable you know like it's indestructible get out of and here and so one Gross. of the theories is that like well if it's indestructible how could he break it and it's like that's the joke is it's not indestructible <laughs> it's a piece of shit product not that he's got superhuman strength oh, God. and that's probably the best part of the theories the other as they go they just get worse and worse let's take a quick break when we come back we'll dig deeper Maybe we'll provide some answers to Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed. We are talking punch, drunk, love. Opens on a very wide shot of Barry talking on the phone. He's he's already talking about the coupons to somebody at like a helpline. He's in a blue suit sitting right in the middle of it. He hears a noise. Great sequence where he walks out into the street. He's just like looking down the road and there's this red car coming down the road and all of a sudden it just, boom, it just flips. <laughs> And the way the the sound is designed, it's like truly startling. It's so shocking. Mm -hmm. I know it made me jump. Yeah, it's startling. It still catches me off guard. Like, what did I just see? What just happened? No answer to that. Yeah, 
no answer to that. The way that that's handled, the editing, and then you keep waiting for the camera pans as this car just careens, crashing, flipping on the road. And then all of a sudden, the second van comes pulling into frame. The door slides open and this harmonium piano just gets clunked onto the street and drives away. And we never reference or answer what that first car accident was. It makes it seem like the two things are connected, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that they are. Well, I mean, I could see like, you know, emotionally, spiritually, it's crash landing into his life. You know, like his his world is about to be rocked. The aliens have crashed. The aliens. And then, <laughs> then she appears because she's an alien. It's true. It's, it could be. Could I be. am on it now. I, li- I do like it. It was fun to watch it with that point of view. She has alien qualities. Very much so. I guess the first main question when you're watching the film is where did the harmonium mm. come from? What is it? Why? What's its significance in the movie? Yeah. I like that it's just sort of dropped out of nowhere. Uh, Me too. I wouldn't call it a MacGuffin. It's not a MacGuffin, but it's, you know, it's a... What's a MacGuffin? A MacGuffin is like um, an object in a movie that has plot importance, but really has no other meaning. It's just to sort of get the characters on a journey, so... Uh, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction mm, is a classic MacGuffin. I think um, it was uh, a Hitchcock term. And that's the only reason why I don't call the harmonium a MacGuffin, because it's not really sending him on a journey. There's nothing. The harmonium doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it technically qualifies as a, a MacGuffin. Uh, in the John Bryan interview on the Criterion disc, it was sort of illuminating in certain ways. He said that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson had had the idea about including a harmonium in this movie. And John Bryan had worked with harmoniums ton in his life. And he said, an interesting thing about harmoniums is that when you first turn them on, you have to open this little gasket at the bottom of it and it sucks in air. And it's almost like it's taking its first breath of life. Ooh, creepy. And um, he said that Paul Thomas Anderson became really hooked on that idea of like, oh, that's a great metaphor for what's happening to this character. It's like he's taking his first breath of life and so to me it starts to kind of clue in of what this harmonium means thematically also in his charlie rose interview with paul thomas anderson charlie rose said paul what is this movie about (laughs) and paul thomas anderson the first thing out of his mouth he said it's about getting in tune and finding your music so i think ultimately the harmonium is just a representation of like he's finding this new spark of joy in his life and it's He's finding his music. He's getting in tune. Cheesy. It's cheesy, but cute. It's cheesy, but cute. Yeah. On paper, this could, movie could suck in somebody else's hands. Like it could have sort of a 500 days of summer or, <laughs> um, you know, Garden State, me, you and everyone we know, like overly quirkiness. I don't feel like this movie ever cringes me out, Mm-mm. you know, with the harmonium and the dial. You know, there's some sappy. I yeah, I, I have a love in my life that makes me stronger than anything you can That's imagine. That's one of the best lines of the whole movie. Yeah, it's in the so context funny. of the movie, it's fucking awesome. And like all the little touches of like surrealness could be bad shows... in other people's hands. But yeah, it's... the filmmaker. Yes. And he puts just enough like awkwardness and darkness and uh there's anxiety that kind of runs throughout the movie that sort of counterbalances the sort of more saccharine sweet stuff an extremely anxiety inducing movie i mean for a number of reasons i feel like this was a huge influence on uncut gems one it's just like the biggest proof in the pudding that adam sandler can do drama but i see the anxiety 
uh-huh. of Uncut Gems sort of born in this movie, especially when it relates to Adam Sandler. What does that expression mean? What? The proof is in the pudding. Ooh. <laughs> that's a good question and very apt for this particular movie, too. As It's the fact that it's difficult to judge if pudding was properly cooked until it was actually being eaten. Ooh, okay. So the proof of it was good you gotta, you was gotta munch only on after you ate it. Mm. I kind of like that. But it also says the phrase is widely attributed to the book Don Quixote. The phrase was started. Oh, in- yeah, but that's it. That's what it was. Yeah. It's from Don Quixote, or that's where it got really famous. And you can't tell if pudding's good until you eat it. I mean, maybe that must have been before instant pudding was <laughs> yeah. created. Because it's pretty damn easy. <laughs> oh, you fucking idiots. Yeah, you just mix water with dust. Turns into pudding. In the sequence, too, Emily Watson comes and drops off her car. We get our first meeting between the two of them. She's fucking great. Uh, this is my first time seeing her, but I'd seen her uh, afterwards in Breaking the Waves. She was also in the Red Dragon uh Brett Ratner's remake of Manhunter. She plays the blind woman, and she's really good in that. Philip Seymour Hoffman's also in that movie, too. Brett Ratner, and I think that may have come out like the next, I think that's probably 2003, 2004. I don't think I saw Red Dragon. I would say if you're going to see a Ratner movie, see Rush Hour first, because it's probably his uh-huh. best. But Seen it. Red Dragon would be the only other one. You can skip all the other Ratners. And you think Red Dragon is worth watching? No, it's not good. Oh. It's not good, but it's the only other Ratner you could watch. But if you had to see a Ratner movie, if you, had if to you see and one. your partner were cuddling up and you're like, I'm in the mood for some Ratner. If, if, if you wake up and you're in one of Jigsaw's classic <laughs> games of life and death, and one of the things that Jigsaw from Saw asks you to do is pick a Ratner movie, your best bet's Rush Hour. <laughs> did, did Ratner direct Saw? Why are no. you bringing up Saw? <laughs> well, if you're, in, if you're put a in a position where you have, have to, to watch, watch a Brett Ratner movie, uh-huh. you have 30 seconds to figure out a Ratner film, and it can't be Rush Hour. <laughs> I would suggest you watch Red Dragon. What would be number two? Just in case you can't find mm. Red Dragon, just give the people a backup option. Rush Hour 2. <laughs> you can't watch any of the Rush Hours. No more Rush Hours. Uh, <sighs> God, what else did he do? He did one with Eddie Murphy. Bowfinger? I think it was called like Tower Heist or something. Family Man, Nicolas Cage. That's the other one. The Family that Man. That works. Yeah. That, put that the on Family the Man's a Christmas movie, too. Are we realizing that we're Ratner fans? <laughs> <laughs> Ratner has so many music videos. Too many, I'd say. I like the color use in this movie. He's in this this like royal blue suit, and she's always dressed in red. It's very primary. This whole movie is very red, white, and blue. So pretty. It, but it's interesting because the spaces themselves are so mundane. Are so mundane. Um, yeah. And Robert Ellsworth, the cinematographer, said that he and the production designer tried in the beginning to get Paul Thomas Anderson to like paint the walls of these places different colors because he would literally walk into these spaces and be like, this is perfect as is. And they'd be like, but the walls are white. <laughs> And he would be like, I know, isn't it great? And they would be like, don't you want it? Don't you think maybe it might be a bad idea to like shoot on white? And he was like, I don't know why, but I think it's what it needs to be. And they said, then once they started shooting and looking at dailies, 
it's revealed that it was the correct thing because he was like, he basically wanted the world to sort of feel like a canvas for the color of the characters to sort of play on. And so he really, especially in Los Angeles, he only wanted the color to come from Barry and Lena. And not till they get to Hawaii does the world like open up in color. Speaking of colors too, I like that little effect, visual effect they have with all these colors that are yes. percolating on the screen you know what i'm talking mm-hmm. about yeah so those are those that's the artwork by jeremy blake he was sort of this kaleidoscopic painter he was actually uh one of the first contemporary painters to embrace photoshop paul thomas anderson ended up going to one of his art openings while he was writing the movie and was so moved by them that he was like i really want this in my movie so he made it specific for the film yes, or they took a pre-existing he, he, he just hired him and then like he painted all these originals for the for the movie but in his style that he that he does he painted them and then the uh vfx department like animated them no he did that he did that too because he was an early oh, okay. embracer of computer of digital art, so he was like the one totally responsible for for doing nice. all that. Sad thing though, five years after this movie, Jeremy Blake found his girlfriend, who was mm-hmm. Teresa Duncan. She was a famous video game designer. He found her dead in his apartment from suicide. Oh, Ugh. and then he walked into the ocean, and his body was found five days later. Oh my god! Yeah. Whoa! It was a bit, it rocked the art world. Man. And there's a pretty good um, little like 20-minute documentary on him in the Criterion disc. Speaking of the look of this movie, too, I feel like La La Land mm-hmm. really was inspired by this film. I remember when the first time we went and saw La La Land, looking at the lenses they chose. and Yeah, the, that's true. The way they let the lens flares come in and even the colors of their outfits. For sure. And they talked about, uh, John Bryan talked about how Paul Thomas Anderson was sort of describing how he wanted the music to work in the movie and how he wanted the camera style and stuff. And John Bryan was like, the way he was talking about it, it was as if he wanted the movie to feel like a musical that never actually turned into a musical. But it always feels like it's leading up to. It does. The music especially feels that way. Yes. This was the first time I'd really like known who John Bryan was, and he very quickly became one of my favorite composers. The music is fucking incredible, and it's partly due to the fact that they started. Uh, he started talking to John Bryan about the movie way before they started shooting, and he started making music for it well before they ever went into production. So when they came to start shooting, they had some music to kind of like get the feel of, and then John Bryan would come to set and watch them shoot. And he said one of the interesting things that he discovered was that Paul Thomas Anderson would often wear headphones while he was filming these scenes. And he went up to him and he was like, well, I have music piped in here. And he was like, oh, are you going to use those? Are you going to use that music in the movie? He's like, no, it's just for the rhythm. I'm like using the rhythm of the songs to compose the scenes and, and, and help the actors block it. And so John Bryan was like, well, what if I made you some music for you to listen to while you shoot this stuff. And he was like, that would be great. And he was like, what do you have in mind? And he said, Paul Thomas Anderson started being like, well, for this one sequence, I had an idea that it would be like, (laughs) and John Bryan was like, hang on one second. And he ran and he grabbed a tape recorder and he was like, go just do, tell me what's in your head. And so he was like, and then he was like, and for this other sequence, I was kind of imagining like this, 
and he just recorded Paul Thomas Anderson making all this jibber jabber and he was like and I literally took that jibber jabber and I like replicated it with a full orchestra and then gave him like for each scene he would give him like 10 minutes of music that he could pipe into his headphones while they were filming the scenes and so that's why the movie has this very choreographed feel to the way the images and the music go together because they were like literally creating it in real time that's cool there just used to be so much money all the work and, yeah. and art like, well, and just given like to people and creative freedom, yeah. yeah creative enthusiasm yeah. that like i think this this industry can suck out of you are there any directors like big directors that edit their own movies the coen brothers they edit their own movies and the Safdie brothers does Soderbergh still edit Soderbergh he edits stuff? his own yeah. mm-hmm. and Soderbergh and the Coens use um, fake names when they so their movies are oftentimes credited to like Roderick Janes but that's uh, that's the Coen brothers and Soderbergh has his his people too that's cool yeah feels like it would be if you knew how to edit it would be so much easier because you could get what was in your brain exactly what you want right yeah than having to explain it to somebody. Another cool thing about all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies is he does not use digital color correction at all. All the color in all of his movies are photochemical processes. Robert Ellsworth, the DP, has like in the past tried to encourage him to like, hey, can we go in and tweak this? And he would be like, nope, what we got is what we got. That's what I want the movies to be. Yeah, that feels a little limiting. I don't understand that one as much as some of the other uh, stuff. Like why would you be philosophically opposed to making an adjustment unless you just wanted to protect it from getting worse, but usually it gets better? I don't know. There's something kind of spiritually nice about it to me. And now he's not against using digital effects. He used some digital effects in There Will Be Blood for like the oil tanks and stuff like that, but not for, for correction, not for color. How many times have you seen a movie that's shot on film and you couldn't fucking tell that it's shot on film. It looks just as digital as anything else. And that's because they still put it through the digital process and monkey around with it. For me, because we live in a day and age where it's all completely done digitally. And when we shoot digital, we shoot raw, we shoot flat, and we go in so that we have all the control. But I can't deny that there's always felt like something is a little bit wrong with that process, you know? I And so for me, I kind of understand... You know, what we got on the day is what we got. We made a decision and we stick to the decision. Like, I remember hearing a Safety Brothers interview where they talked about, they had all these conversations about how they were going to shoot Uncut Gems with Darius Kanji. They shot that on film and the look and the color and, and the way they wanted and they dialed it in and they figured it out and they shot the whole movie that way. And then in post, they started monkeying with it. And they were like, we spent probably like two months kind of, Going back on all the stuff we had talked about, trying some different looks that were all sort of digitally done. And we ultimately got to the end of that two months and we were like, what the fuck are we doing? Oh, this doesn't even look any better. Like, why, why did we even do that? And they just wiped it all and they just stuck with the original plan of how they shot it. And they were like, and it, it's, it's, it is that way because that's the way it should be. You know, we decided that we figured that out. I am excited about the new <clears throat> Alexa 35 camera. It seems to be changing the color workflow options um, where you do have a little bit more control to bake things in on set. And like what you see is what you get mm-hmm. and you can tweak a few settings. You would obviously like 
monitor with LUTs and have a greater degree of control there, but you can also bake certain things in, in, in addition to the LUTs, um, like tech, I think they call them textures. Yeah. Uh, that seems really cool. Good, good way to Marry dial world, something in yeah. with your DP beforehand and, and make it permanent. Yeah. In film school now, I don't know if you would know the answer to this, but do they even teach film like directing? Sure, like, do you think that like f- directing on film is like a dying art? Absolutely, but um, I'm sure there are some film schools that probably allow you that will probably teach it. But um, you know, like in in our case at Columbia, we were the last we were the last class to get to shoot on film and get That's any sad. sort of any sort of option of that and then they fully transition to digital and i think most film schools probably don't don't teach film um hmm. it's absolutely a um you know i mean there's still plenty of people out there that do it yeah uh, doesn't paul thomas anderson dp his own movies too? yeah now if he and robert elswood don't work together anymore they got in a fight on um hmm. inherent vice ever since that fight now he's his own dp it's sad found an interview with him on a podcast with robert elswood and you can tell he's sad about it it is sad. Robert Elswood also said that all the flares in the movie are completely intentional and and placed there. Like none of it was accidental. Like they had Joker pars on the edge of anytime there is a flare, it's because they set up a light specifically to create that flare. Which I did ask given. you when we were watching the movie. I was like, was that digital or was that real? The oh, blue yeah. one in the hallway. None of it digital. All real. Oh, they're so pretty. We get to meet his sisters. He's got seven of them. That kind of makes it feel like a fairy tale too, that there's so many. You. Remember right. we used to call you gay boy? You'd get all mad. What's that? We used to call you gay boy. Remember you'd be fine, and then we'd call you gay boy. You just freak out. We were calling you gay, and you got so mad you threw the hammer through the sliding glass door. You remember? I don't remember that. Yes, you do. We were calling you gay boy, and you got so mad. Are you gay now? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then through the scene, they eventually just start calling him gay boy. They're like, "Come to the table, gay boy," and then all of a sudden. He smashes the sliding glass doors again. What the fuck is your problem? Fucking retard, Barry! They're abnormally vicious. They're comic book villains. Mm -hmm. Um, They're so abusive in a way that's like, this is either so bad it's real, like this is 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 the way it would be, or he knows somebody, or he's had siblings who have been like this. Right. But like to see, I know everybody has siblings who are that vicious when you're younger, but like still treating somebody like that awfully. They are so cruel and so mean. But then there's like a little sliver where you're like, oh, because like when Emily Watson's like, yeah, your brother is weird. And then the sister's like, well, he's not that weird. Like yeah, I can say that he's weird. weird, but like you can't say that. It's <laughs> well, like I mean, that the felt first, so the first real moment to that me. They're like, remember when we used well, to call you? Well, of course, they're boy? horrible. Yeah. Yes. Like, they're 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 irredeemable. Well, it immediately puts us on his side. Yeah, and it's I love the way that they are played too because they are doing it in a way where it's almost like they're so used to being this way to him that they don't even perceive it as being mean. To him. I know. It's just like the the dynamic between the sisters and the one brother is like they just constantly poke and prod at him there's a truth to it that's sad and that's scary (laughs) like to not have that you can i'm an only child so luckily i don't have to deal with this but but you can be stuck with people in your life that are (laughs) are yeah 
not your friends. They're, they're, you're not your chosen family. Yeah. And they haven't done the work. They're not growing in any way, shape, or form. They're still, their idea of a good time is reminding you of the awful trauma from their pa- from your past mm-hmm. that they inflicted. The embarrassing things that you did. I think that's what lots of people do. It's I true. I think lots of families, I think lots of friend groups do that. It's like just yeah. recalling the craziest thing or the worst mm-hmm. thing that you did and stuff like that. I mean, you'll hear that in wedding speeches and yeah. stuff. It's like, remember how fucking yeah, and dumb it's you were? It's the worst part of weddings. <laughs> oh, now we have to listen to the best friend who who was on the football team. Yeah. And hear all these shitty stories and nobody laughs. Yeah. It's not funny. <laughs> That's my favorite part of a wedding. The awkward speeches. Especially if you don't know anybody there. Just sit back and enjoy. So then he goes to the grocery store and we get this scene where he finds the pudding. He gets this idea to take advantage of the sweepstakes deal that Healthy Choice is doing, where every 10 products you buy, you get 500 frequent flyer miles. Mm-hmm. And he, he realizes that if he can find a cheap enough product, he could potentially game the system. And he discovers these little pudding packets that are 25 cents a piece. Actual thing that happened, this is based off of a true story. He was called the Pudding Guy. His name was David Phillips. And he did this exact thing. Healthy Choice had this exact promotion. Insane deal. I would be doing the same thing. Even if you bought the little frozen dinners, that's an insane deal. 500 miles is a lot of miles. I think it was was, um, 50 miles for every product you bought. And they would do it in groups of 10. Damn. And yeah, he spent a little over $3,000 and he got 1.2 million That's incredible. <laughs> Good for him. And there's a funny interview on the on the Criterion documentary, uh, or not documentary, Criterion disc of Katie Curry, uh, or Katie Couric. Katie Couric. Katie Couric interviewing him. Katie Curry is a listener of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Katie Curry. <laughs> so then we get a great apartment sequence that's in... Sherman Oaks. Hell yeah, Shermie. I like the LA of this movie. Feels real. it's the valley. It yeah. feels very much like the valley. Mm-hmm. All of T- Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, I mean, I guess not all of them, not like There Will Be Blood and stuff, but his a lot of his movies are Most based of them, in the valley. Yeah. He's a valley boy. He sees a phone sex uh, ad and he decides to call it. I love this sequence. It's so awkward of him talking on the phone. It's all done in one take. She keeps trying to bring it back to like, what are you wearing? But he just like wants to like talk. And then she asks him for his social security number. And I like that he does not want to give it to her. And he tries desperately (laughs) to not give it to her. That's like the most scream moment. You're just like, no. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing too, the phone number that he gives her is um, the same phone number for the pharmacy in Magnolia. And at the time you could call it and Philip Seymour Hoffman would would like there was like a little message from Phillips Hoffman. That's fun. 3993 I called it earlier today. It's it's nothing nothing answers. Did y'all ever like want to call those ads cuz I sure did. Yeah, I think we no. I think I did when I was like in like Sex asleep. ads. Well, I, I would see the commercials on TV and I would want to call those. Sleepovers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The phone. We used to but like prank call 1-800 numbers and all of those things all the time. And but you actually you, called them? Yes, but you couldn't ever get through because you had to have a credit card and none of us did. So we would like try and play different characters and stuff. It was so stupid. When I was like 11, I was at a sleepover during Summer Theater Academy and we called, it was like some late night ad selling knives, like fishing knives. And we called it and we thought it was the most hilarious 
idea to play a character that their whole family had been killed by knives. And that's like, we just like kept calling this number back, this poor operator screaming and crying, being like, how dare you sell knives? My whole family died by these knives. I know, isn't that fucked up? So you blame the knives. Yes, it was so stupid. It was the worst prank. I'm sure they were just like, yes, we know this is you again. Uh, And at the end of this scene, speaking of the alien thing, the he starts jerking off. She eventually like convinces him to sit down and start jerking off. And the camera does sort of like the taxi driver thing where it pans away from him because it's too awkward, you know? And there's a lamp sitting there that's like kind of cocked out so that the light is flaring in the lens. And as the flare starts to kind of grow, there's this like an alien noise that like rises in the in the soundtrack before it like cuts out. Next morning, he gets a call back from her, Georgia, Georgia Peach, and she needs money to pay her rent. She needs $750. He's nice about it, but he's like, I can't afford it. And then she starts to basically become threatening. She's like, well, I have all your information. I have your social. I mean, like, you can just, maybe if I call back, maybe your girlfriend will will give me the money. And he realizes she's threatening. And she's scary to me. Like, I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, this is a pretty scary situation. And it made me glad I never called those numbers. Pick up the phone. I also desperately wanted to call the Girls Gone Wild number and order one of those tapes. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Not proud of it, folks, but it was enticing to me as a little 13-year-old watching Wild on E! Or the Howard Stern Show, also on E! It's funny that those commercials really only ever played on the E! channel. I don't remember seeing them on, like, Comedy Central. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. That's the Girls Gone Wild theme? Yeah, that's the Girls Gone Wild theme. Huh. Like that sort of Caribbean. I don't remember it. I didn't really know that Girls Gone Wild had a theme. Oh, yeah. every every single, They would update the commercials with new stuff. Snoop Dogg did one, too. It was called like Doggy Style. <laughs> Girls Gone Wild Doggy Style. But they had the same, uh, you know, the same theme every single okay, time. Okay, back to the movie. <laughs> All the shenanigans are going on in the warehouse. His phone is ringing off the hook because it's a sex calls lady trying to threaten him. And then his sister, one of his sisters comes in with Emily Watson and she asks him out on a date. And it's a really cute sequence in the midst of all this crazy shit, like the forklift is crashing in the background and people are falling down and stuff. I just love the energy of all these sequences. Like it's Paul Thomas Anderson taking what he was good at, but not doing it in the way that he was accused of doing it, which is like a little cokehead boy. Was he a cokehead? Yes. Wow. You remember those Fiona Fiona Apple interviews where she said like- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. trapped in a room with Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino on coke will make anybody give up cocaine. <laughs> oh my God. What a night that does yeah, That like would a be a night. It would be really fun at first and then probably just, yeah, hell. Trapped yeah. in a room. <laughs> it's like two, two <sighs> men, like if you're one of the girlfriends too, like two yeah. men who just think that they are pure geniuses just freaking jerking each other off or themselves so you wouldn't say that it's like this podcast you don't feel that way (laughs) right well we're not on cocaine yeah if you guys are on cocaine it might be a different story (laughs) it might turn into exactly that yeah we should do the hundredth actually when we did this funnier die episode that was pure comedy gold (laughs) that's that's a good idea hundredth episode is the cocaine episode (laughs) okay great (laughs) <laughs> but we have to do a, a cocaine movie. We'll just do Scarface again. 
<laughs> the first. I have more things to say. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't the first. It was the second. Second episode. Yeah. Then we go to Provo, Utah, and we get to see Phil Sumer Hoffman. And basically, the the phone sex girl who we now get to see is just kind of like a mom with all these like little kids in her home, calls Philip Seymour Hoffman and basically says like, he's not budging. And so <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> pulls in these like three brothers and Gosh, he's like, so good too. you know what? Hit him at his home. Let's see what this little bad boy businessman is all about. <laughs> <laughs> and like, they think he's like got a lot of money yeah. and they're like, he's like a businessman. He could fucking give us some money. And so he sends these three brothers out to go to go threaten to go beat him up basically and, and get the money from an ATM. Phil Timmer Hoffman said in this uh, at the Cannes press conference, he said, My job in this story, and Paul didn't tell me this, but I feel like I'm the nightmare in the dream. I'm his worst fear, and he needs to be able to overcome me before he's able to be with Emily. Mm. That's the way he saw the character. That makes that tracks. Yeah. The brothers are actual brothers that they found in Utah. These three blonde Mormon brothers. And it's interesting that Barry is tormented by both sisters and brothers in this movie. Like his sisters and then these brothers. It feels like an intentional choice to make these like villains of the movie uh, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And when his sisters attack him, he smashes the glass of the windows of the sliding doors. And when the brothers attack him, he makes a point to go smash the windows on the truck. I love it. Do I know what it means? No. But do I love it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Great sequence at the dinner. They go out to, to a dinner date oh, God. at this restaurant. First off, it's awkward because he's just like trying to tell her about this morning DJ that he listens to. And he's repeating some of the jokes and it's like, Classic jokes not funny when you repeat it out loud. That DJ Justice, he just cuts people down to sound. Sounded size. like a story my dad would tell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because my dad loves his morning he DJs. He loves morning DJs, yeah. Um, it's probably the way our listeners talk to their significant others after they listen to our episodes. I They're can like, only hope. Jack and Justin and Corey, they said some funny stuff, man. That Jack, that Jack in particular is really funny. Um, I love when Corey and Justin cut Jack down to size. They really get him. They get him good. Put him in his place. I think he started crying because they made him cry this episode. Usually he cries because of Billy Bob Thornton's performances, but they made him cry on this. Episode. I think Justin and Corey are abusive, <laughs> like Barry Egan's sisters in Punch Drunk Club. <laughs> or they think that we're the actual couple. How everybody on my Instagram for yeah. years yeah. thought you were Jack because the who's only pictures on I had were of you and me on my Sharing Instagram. Food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because not only would I refuse to share food, but I would refuse to take pictures with either of you two. Um, and then Emily Watson brings up the the gay boy hammer story, not knowing that it's going to be so triggering to him. And he's like, my sister is a liar. <laughs> and he's like, I need to go to the bathroom. And he goes right into the bathroom and immediately just destroys the bathroom knocks the stall down <laughs> and it has the funniest and the cut. sound this sound like blows it's so out. loud <laughs> so good. 
And it's the funniest cutaway from that scene too, because he literally like knocks down both of the stalls and then reaches over and grabs the soap dispenser, but can't pull it off the thing. And before he can actually pull it off, it cuts away. We don't even get the satisfaction of seeing him rip it off. I had a suppressed yeah. memory of wa- when watching this scene that my cousin Brittany and I kind of did this to a bathroom once when we were kids just to be like fuck around yes it's so bad it was this place called chips barbecue down the street from my grandmother's house Uh and we went into it it wasn't like full bathroom with like stalls like that it was just a one bathroom (laughs) but we went in (laughs) and had a squeeze bottle of soap and we just flew the soap everywhere all over took all the toilet paper out just threw it everywhere and then we just ran out oh my god i know awful we dumped out the trash can I don't know what the fuck was wrong. Apparently, we were on cocaine. I mean, I don't know. sometimes as a kid, you have those moments where you're like, I see an opportunity it to like do something. It like pops up every once in a while, like like a, I don't know, little memory. And it like kind of gives me like a full body EBGBs. Because that somebody had to clean that I shit know. up. I know. And we probably look so unassuming. My version of that was I got it. I broke into my uh, the spray paint into our in our garage. I got a hold of it. And I went to my friends and I was like, look, I have spray paint. And they were like, let's do something with it. And I was like, well, let's just start painting on the road. So we start like spray painting on the road. And then you know how like uh, written on the sidewalks in some neighborhoods, the the addresses of the house are like painted mm-hmm. onto the sidewalks. I was like, let's cover up the address. God. So I spray painted the address and it was really fun to just cover it up. <gasps> and then we just started going down the street and covering everybody's address. That's awful. With the spray paint. And then I said, hey guys, look at me. And I turned the spray paint <gasps> to my mouth and blasted the inside oh of my, my mouth God. with blue spray paint. Why? What the fuck was I thinking? I have no clue. I was high on probably <laughs> paint fumes, but I was like high on the thrill of like being bad that I was like, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> Doused my whole mouth with blue spray paint. Instantly couldn't breathe, burning sensation all down my mouth and throat, instantly started crying, ran (laughs) home with blue all over my mouth, ran to my parents being like, help me. (laughs) And they were like, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) I spray painted my mouth. And they saw that we had spray painted all of the addresses on the sidewalk, covered them, and they were like, this is bad. (laughs) Like, you have... (laughs) You have you vandalized your own our entire street, <laughs> and then get. We could have done it and maybe gotten away with yeah. it if I had not sprayed my mouth with <laughs> the spray paint. So I got in big trouble, the and they had to like biggest criminal idiot <laughs> in the world. I think they had to like call the homeowners association uh, and like fess up to it, and they had to send people out there to repaint. Yeah, they the probably fucking, had to pay for it. Yeah, it was bad. I got in big, big trouble. <laughs> Oh, cool shot. When they're leaving, they get kicked out of the restaurant after he destroys the bathroom. They're leaving, and there's this great shot where you watch them walk out of it, and they walk onto the sidewalk, and it's a steady cam shot. And then this big truck starts to kind of pull up behind them, and the music is going, and you can hear the truck do its little... <laughs> and it does it, like, with the music. Uh, he brings her back to his apartment, or to her apartment. They have a little, like, well, this was a fun night. And then he leaves, and he walks down to the front desk, and there's this great moment where the front desk lady is like, Barry, 
you have a phone call and we for sure think it's the fucking phone sex people again. And it's like, how did they find him? But then when he gets on the phone, she's like, I just wanted you to know that I wanted to kiss you just then. Uh. And so he bolts back up there. But it's so funny because he can't figure out how to get back to her apartment. Uh, Being so there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this extended sequence of him like desperately trying to find it. And the music is swelling, and it culminates is right when he bursts through the door. She's oh, it's standing there. so clutch of him to knock on the door, and the second she opens it, just to step in and kiss her. Mm-hmm. Don't even wait. Oh, so romantic. And the music's fucking good, and I think it's like the best, some of the most romantic movie music there's ever been. It's just fucking awesome. True romance. Yes. And I'm not talking about Okay, it. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I think you can compare this movie to other Adam Sandler movies and see lots of parallels in those as well. Because those a lot of those Adam Sandler movies are in some ways romantic comedies. But even just the way the character is, is like not that far from a typical Waterboy-esque. Okay, Waterboy's not the best. Um... <laughs> well, you know, a lot of Adam Sandler characters are characters that have some sort of a deep rage boiling inside of them that can be set off by certain things. And that's part of the oh, joke and true. gag that's of funny. humor. So like there's an interesting deconstruction mm-hmm. going on with this movie. It's just taking that character and, you know, filming it through through an auteur vision in a different story. But it's not that far from the typical. Yeah. Sandler character uh, and so yeah he goes home and this is when he goes home he's like taking the trash out and all of a sudden the brothers from Utah pull up snatch him and throw him in the back of the truck they take him to an ATM they force him to get cash out he does not get enough cash out for them because he's hit his limit they punch him and he runs away and this sequence of him running I've always thought felt like a werewolf movie or something the music sounds like it's coming from like a 50s horror movie the way he's running and he's almost like growling when he's running he's like there's a great little Texas switch where he's running and the camera's panning along with him and then he dives off of this balcony and you hear like crashing and then all of a sudden like a separate stuntman is like running down the road. Looks fucking great. Yeah. He decides he's going to get as much fucking pudding as he can so that he can get enough mileage to go with her to Hawaii. But then he realizes that it's going to take six to eight weeks for them to actually redeem the miles. He gets so mad that he punches a hole in the wall and he crawls up and we see his hand get placed onto the harmonium. And did you notice that his knuckles say love? I didn't notice this until after, yeah. The cuts on his knuckles are like bleeding from punching the I wall. Think so, yeah. It spells out yeah. love. Uh, the original working title for the movie? Punch Drunk Knuckle Love. Thank God he cut that. It's a bad title. Yeah. It's almost good. <laughs> Justin Timberlake walked in and he said, one thing, lose the knuckle. You don't remember that scene from Social Network? Oh. It was that I was not sure where that was going. I thought it was gonna be something yeah. about sexy love or that <laughs> that Justin Timberlake's the one it was called the Facebook. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin yeah. Timberlake's the one who says, Oh, just one thing. But Justin Timberlake Who's is playing the, the. a real person. Yeah, what is it? What was his the guy who created Napster? Sean Puffy Combs. Yeah, Sean Puffy Combs. <laughs> Parker. Sean Parker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But then he just decides, I, I don't need the fucking mileage. I'll just buy a fucking plane ticket and go to, go to Hawaii. And um, this is where we get the song from Popeye, He Needs Me, sung by Shelley Duvall. It's a Harry Nilsson song. He needs me, 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 he needs me. 
Did you know this was Shelley Duvall? I did not know that. It's from Popeye. Do you, did you ever see Popeye with Robert, Robin Williams? Yes. But Corey, you did know that because he said it on the last episode <laughs> as in the outro. She didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Uh, sometimes Corey just smiles and nods. <laughs> <laughs> because if I, if I ask a question about everything I don't know, this podcast will be seven hours long. Hey. Got it. Got it. There's probably some <laughs> listeners who would like that. Hey, I've, I ask the things when I really want to know the question to answer. I think Popeye is significant. In that one, he loves Robert Altman. He would later go on to uh, assistant direct Robert Altman's um, Prairie Home Companion. And he's always been throwing references to Altman. But I feel like Popeye is an apt character comparison because Popeye, didn't he have a little bit of a tood problem? I mean, he ate spinach and he got strong and he could beat up Bluto. I don't know Popeye nearly well enough. Yeah, I think he's more likely Popeye than Superman. Yeah, more of a sailor man than Superman. When I was a kid, I did I liked Popeye quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, I pronounced Popeye Pie Pie, and I was talking about it to somebody at my dad's work, and this coworker overheard me, and he came over and he said, "I hear you like Pie Pie," and I was like, "Yeah," and he goes, "What kind?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, "What's your favorite kind of Pie Pie?" <laughs> Ew! And the fact that he thought you were calling this... Pie 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 like, and I did, and I did not like Pie. <laughs> At that time. So I was like, dude, you completely misunderstood me. This is like the the fifth story you told of somebody mm-hmm. misunderstood. I know. I was about to say, yeah, specifically at your dad's work. Adults could not get me. They didn't understand me <laughs> as a kid. Parents, they just don't understand. <laughs> also, like, I wouldn't, if I, if I thought a kid was saying pie pie <laughs> to mean pie, I would like correct them i'm like you mean pie like you want to eat pie what's your favorite type of pie to eat sometimes <laughs> kids say weird things i think he was just trying to like level with i'm gonna me. tell you right now uh, this guy sounds like a creep no 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 no, <laughs> he no. Was a predator <laughs> no, absolutely so not he was being a nice <laughs> guy so he, he was just trying the to hey connect little boy with what kind of pie, pie do you him, like <laughs> he just legitimately thought i was talking about pie and he was like let me try to talk to this kid why is yeah, he trying I'm to talk sh- to a little kid he doesn't know i don't know because it's polite not everyone's a predator, core. You don't try to talk to people's kids when they come over with the kids? I don't offer them pie pie. <laughs> he didn't offer. He was asking me what my favorite kind was. Yeah, so he could go get it for you and then take you home. <laughs> they get to, he gets to Hawaii. Great sequence where he gets reunited with. Actually, what I like the most is the parade sequence where he's like call it trying to track her down and he's just standing at this payphone and it's i think two shots but they're kind of these long extended shots they shot actually at a real parade and uh, they said they shot like 15 times because uh he couldn't they like weren't feeling it and the reason why they use that particular take is because these like tribal drummers come by and paul thomas anderson said that the the sound and the feel of the tribal drums were so loud that it made Adam Sandler have to like scream everything and it like brought the energy he was looking for. And so that's the reason why they used that take. Cute. They reunite. It's a fun little moment in their silhouettes. They kiss. It's the fucking poster of the movie. Beautiful. Uh, Barry calls the call center girl and she goes, hey there, guy. (laughs) And he's like, hi, this is Barry. And then she goes, I'm not able to come to the phone right now. I'm in the other room shaving my roommate's pussy. (laughs) It is an insane. <laughs> and Jack goes, I'm going to make that my new out answering machine. I was like, oh, go over great. Grotesque. 
so they go home and as their great shot as they're pulling into the driveway they suddenly boom get slammed by the truck <sighs> so good this movie's got a lot of jump scares in it mm-hmm. uh and this is just an exciting sequence because they crash his car he looks over she looks at him blood trickles down her head and the rage inside oh, this of is him. like what you're this is when the payoff starts happening it's what you want he gets out of the car the first guy that comes up to him he hits him so hard that his head like snaps back and i love the sounds that they use because they're not traditional like movie punch sound effects they're like sound like realistic hits one of the guys has a a tire iron he punches that guy out the guy's tire iron like almost cartoonishly like flies up into the air he catches it does a little flip with it and then just starts bashing the windows of this car so good the truck it's almost like if he can smash the windows that's uh, just like his sisters. That's all he needs to do. He's, that's how he releases his rage. <laughs> it is a very fun scene. Good definition of an well-earned payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Takes her to the hospital and then decides he's got to go put a stop to this. And so he ends up tracking down Philip Seymour Hoffman, who works at this mattress store. Yeah, who's this? Hello, sir. My name's Barry Egan. I called your service yeah, the other night. Shut the fuck up. Oh, what's that? I said calm down and shut the fuck up. What's the problem? The problem is if you give me a chance to explain one of your employees, that girl who I was just speaking with has been threatening me and four blonde gentlemen just attacked me and smashed my car and hurt my girl. All right, go fuck yourself. That shit has nothing to do with me. All right, I run a legitimate business here. Listen to me. What's your name, sir? Answer me! What's your name, asshole? I'm Barry Egan! How do I know? You can be anybody, You're a bad person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! You have no right to take people's confidence. Shut up! Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Now! Are you threatening me, dick? Aren't you... You go fuck yourself! Oi! Fuck! Did you just say, go fuck myself? Yes, I did. That wasn't good! You're dead! Yeah, it's like this scene where he like beats the shit out of all of them. It just ramps up to this meeting, mm-hmm. and it's just like you're on the edge of your seat. You're like until go, he sees Philip Seymour. Go Hoffman. fucking get him! And I think this final showdown is in the the pantheon of scenes we've talked about before. That on paper might read a little underwhelming, but Ugh. you know, like we talked about it with Sling Blade. What was the other one? Oh, Jackie Brown. Also has a final showdown that you might consider underwhelming. But to me, it works fucking perfectly. He's getting his hair cut by the phone sex lady. Hilarious little moment where she keeps running the comb down his hair and it keeps snagging and he's going, ow. <laughs> <laughs> and I love their dynamic too because every time she speaks, he tells her to shut up. No matter what she's saying. You she's, love that dynamic? I do. I love it. It's, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he does it all throughout the movie even when she's sticking up for him he's like shut up <laughs> and that's what he's just so funny looking and funny acting i guarantee you paul thomas anderson was 
in tears every time they were filming. For sure. Another reason why people point to Superman is they say that Philip Seymour Hoffman looks like he's wearing a cape. Oh my God. People are stupid. (laughs) Cut all of this out of the podcast. (laughs) I don't want anybody to think that this could even be a thing. M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Fuck you. You're a pervert. Think you can be a pervert and not pay for it? You call the phone second. Shut up. I didn't do anything. I'm a nice man. I mind my own business. So you tell me that's that before I beat the hell from you. I have so much strength in me, you have no idea. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I would say that's that, Mattress Man. You came all the way from LA to tell me this. Yes, I did. Tell the cops? No. All right. And then Barry turns and walks out and he goes, Now get the fuck out of here, pervert! Didn't I warn you? That's that. (laughs) Uh, And then he runs back, grabs the harmonium from his office, bolts back to her apartment. She's not at the hospital anymore. He gets there, she's got a bandage on her head. He basically says he never wants to be apart from her and that whenever, in six to eight weeks, he's going to have a million flyer miles and he could follow her anywhere she wants to go. And she says, mm. you left me at the hospital. Don't ever do that again. And he says, I don't ever want to be a partner yet. And then they kiss one last time. And it's so good. The music swells. And then it does a little fade out to him <clears throat> playing the harmonium at his warehouse. And he's yeah. playing the tune of the movie on it. And she comes up behind him and wraps her arms around him and says, mm. hey, here we go. And then they get sucked up into an alien spaceship. Well, just to bring up one last <laughs> one last Superman thing. <laughs> People say that when she wraps her arms around him, he's wearing no. blue, she's wearing no. red, she wraps her Stop. arms around him and becomes the red cape of oh Superman. Oh my god. <laughs> You're ruining you? I hate the it. Movie. This is an, I don't agree with any of these. Want, dude, listen, listen. This is where this is where I'm coming from. The alien thing, that's fun. Yeah. You gave me something fun to think about yeah. next time I watch the movie. Mm-hmm. The Superman thing, I'm not going to be able to unsee it. Oh, no. Every time I Am watch I this movie, it? I'm going to be thinking about Superman. I don't want to think about Superman. Nah, that's true. That's true. Nah. <laughs> I don't want to think about Superman either, man. Uh, and that's the end of the film. The 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 soundtrack to this movie john bryan has a song called here we go here we go again my own. that ain't it beesh. that ain't it but it's a beautiful song what did you just call her <laughs> he likes beesh. to call me bish because he thinks he can get away with it. he calls me for bishop uh, that's wow funny, yeah and then it becomes beesh <laughs> you know how the nicknames work around here <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> she uses the actual term bitch to me constantly. Well, 
She can do that. I'm not allowed to, <laughs> so you, I have Justin. to find other ways. Because we all have to occasionally call each other bitches sometimes. <laughs> not you are not allowed. God. <laughs> and that's the movie. And that's the end of the film. Um, yeah, the, the song is not actually in the movie, but it's on the soundtrack. And if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend you go listen to it. You've got to hope that there's someone for you as strange as you are. Who can cope with the things that you do without trying to hide? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get final thoughts on P-D-L. I wonder if he ever thought about that. Okay, I have to pee. PDL is public <laughs> display of love. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on Paul Thomas Anderson's 2002 film, Punch Drunk Love. Justin, I'm kicking it off with you. What are your final thoughts on this film? Let the people know how you really feel. It feels good. It feels good to come in with with not any hot, no hot takes, no nothing controversial, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I punch drunk, love it. Mm. It's great. Where does it stand in your ranking of the PTAs? Would you say? Ooh, PTAs. It's high. It's up there. Um, it's a different era of PT for me. It's the pre. There will be blood era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I have a soft spot in my heart for that era. As much as I love the master, uh, unsure how I feel about inherent vice. Love it. Go on. <laughs> I feel the same, Justin. Uh, I feel the same. Yeah. It was a time of innocence. I'm going to force you all know, to rewatch time, it for the pod. Time of innocence, a time of whimsy, a time of playfulness. Someone on the top of their game taking a chance and doing something different. All of his movies just keep trying new things. And man, he hits it out of the park with Punch Drunk Love and it still feels like a PTA. 
movie. It doesn't feel pretentious to me. It doesn't feel like it would ever get dated. It feels timeless. Doesn't feel like a movie from 2002. Yeah. I recommend it to people to watch with an open open mind. I don't think it's that challenging of a movie. You just have to kind of accept that there are going to be some things that don't have a neat, clean movie bow tie for you, you know, like a little like a little knot tied for all the answers. But I think I would ask ask yourself why why does that always have to be the case you know can't can't he be can't a main character be a little bit of a strange oddball can't the movie reflect sort of his the main character's perspective you know Mm -hmm. i think the movie's weird and quirky like him and i commend pt anderson Mm -hmm. (laughs) for for choosing that as his subject i think that's great yeah then another movie that this reminds me of is um Jonathan Demme's Something Wild with Jeff Daniels mm-hmm. and Melanie Griffith has a kind of a similar tone to it that is a little jumping all over the place. It's got some tense moments, some scary moments, some anxiety moments, some over-the-top comedy. There's even some surreal stuff. And he wears a blue suit. I could see that. Corey, how about you? Um, I guess my biggest hot take is that I, until this conversation, would never have had any qualms about recommending it to people yeah like and i still don't think that i would but i see everything that you both have brought up but i as we know from last week and just all this podcast i love romantic comedies and i think that this is a heightened romantic comedy i think it hits the romance elements fully i think it's so beautiful i think the performances are so fun and heartwarming and stressful and funny like it it just hits all the things and um i feel like i would if somebody was asking me for a romantic like an i don't know maybe out of the box or whatever but i would totally recommend this movie and i think that most people i would hope that i at least i know um who like this genre of movie would be very happy to to spend an hour and a half in this world yeah I agree. I think if you saw this movie a long time ago and you think you don't like it, give it another shot. Because you just might like it now. I love this movie. I think it's pretty amazing. It's always been one of my favorite movies. And at times, it might be my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I think it's super inspiring. I think it's lovely to look at. It's lovely to listen to. It's short. It's breezy. And uh, it's influential i'm shocked that there might be aliens in it and i fucking love it uh and i'll be thinking about it every time i watch the movie now and it doesn't change the movie in a bad way to me it just opens it up in a fun way i'm certainly going to keep this criterion collection blu-ray that i have and i'll just end my thoughts with a little story that john bryan told where he was they were in the editing room And they brought in a guy who he wouldn't name, but he said he's a guy who's been involved in a ton of classic movies. He came in, they screened the movie for him. And about 30 minutes into the movie, he had them stop it. And he said, I'm feeling like some of this stuff doesn't quite add up. And Paul Thomas Anderson, without missing a beat, said, I know it's great, right? (laughs) So he knows what he's doing. 
And uh, that's the way to watch the movie. Just let it wash over you. And I agree. It's great, Paul. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about punch drunk love, what do you say we play the Punch Drunk Club Quiz? That's right, folks. The Punch Drunk Club Quiz. There are a lot of celebrities who claim this to be one of their favorite films. Try and guess the members of the Punch Drunk Club based on their affectionate quotes. It's a multiple choice. I will read you a quote and read you some choices and you tell me who said it. Question number one. You got something to say? (laughs) No, I'm just excited. (laughs) (laughs) Question number one. Which iconic comedy star said this? I love Punch Drunk Love. It's my favorite of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. There's not a more romantic, emotional, but really funny movie. That was definitely my favorite movie of the year when it came out. Was it? <laughs> There's no clues at all. Anybody what? on the you planet. Somebody rushed this week's <laughs> yeah. quiz. Yeah, you did. got it, dude. <laughs> Like, literally, my mom could have said that. Uh, Was it? But one of these people said it. Was it A, Vince Vaughn, B, Owen Wilson, (laughs) C, Ben Stiller, or D, Mike Myers? Of course, Ben Stiller. Vince Vaughn. It was Owen Wilson. (laughs) Classic Owen Wilson. Three identical people who all could have said the same quote. Buckle up, folks. Can't wait to hear this. Are there seven of these? Question number two. Which 2023 Oscar-nominated director said this? The first film of Adam Sandler's I ever saw was Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. It floored me. It really is one of the great screen performances for me of all time. Was it A, Todd Field, B, Martin McDonough, C, Steven Spielberg, or D, Daniel Kwan of the Daniels? Daniel Kwan of the Daniels. You think his first Adam Sandler movie would have oh, been that's true. Punch Drunk that. Love? I missed that. I missed that. A. When you say 2023, is it, you mean for like... A movie that came out in 2022? 2023 Oscar-nominated directors. They were... Yes, but yes, does that yes. Mean, they, so for the 2023... Todd Field. Todd Field. Todd Field. Director of Tar. And Little Children. And In the Bedroom. Okay. Also, he's in Twister as an yeah. actor. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three. Justin's got points on the board. Which pal of Adam Sandler said this. If you put Punch Drunk Love on a TV right now, I will cry in three seconds. Adam used to say, you know, I'm doing you and my brother in this role. And I watch the movie and I see it. And I think that's why it makes me cry. I see myself in his behavior. I was so bad with women, especially the moment when he's talking about the DJ. (laughs) That's the quote. Is it A, Rob Schneider? B, Kevin Spade, C, Judd Apatow, or D, Kevin James? Rob Schneider. (laughs) Kevin Spade. (laughs) Who was it? It's Judd Apatow. Oh, wow. 
Wait, did I say Kevin Spade? That's yeah. it. Jack said Kevin yeah. Spade. Did you mean David Spade? You mean David Spade. <laughs> Leave it in. Again, Leave I was it rushing in. this quiz. Yeah. I, the whole Kevin time Spade. I kept thinking, is Kevin Spade David Spade's brother? No, it's it's the love child between Kevin Spacey and David Spade. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hit us uh, with another classic quote. Okay. <laughs> Question number four. Which 70s auteur director said this? When I go to the movies, I like to go out and say, I never saw anything like that. That's my favorite thing to say, you know? And that's what I said after I saw Punch Drunk Love. It's my Quentin favorite Tarantino. of Paul's movies. No, 70s auteur director. Oh. <laughs> I zoned out. The first it's literally the only hint you ever okay, have. Go, is the first go, 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 <laughs> Is it A, Martin Scorsese? B, Francis Ford Coppola? C, William Friedkin? Or D, Woody Allen? C, Friedkin. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> it's Francis. <laughs> this... this Game blows. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a game about couples of Hollywood, like these couples dated or something, because the way that you I worded it. I think there's it. something interesting to hearing how people react to Punch Drunk Love. Sure, these sure, these sure. notable figures, how much they uh, they love the movie. Okay, question number five: Which visionary horror filmmaker <laughs> said this? Personally, it's my favorite PTA, and that soundtrack is astonishing. I've listened to it on a loop for weeks. Not an exaggeration. <laughs> Was that A, Mike Flanagan? B, James Wan? C, Robert Eggers? Or D, Guillermo del Toro? Or E, who cares? Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Corey got it. Guillermo del Toro. I can honestly see him saying that. Like, I'm not exaggerating. He, he, he also said that he wrote... The Shape of Water, listening to the soundtrack to Punch Drunk Love, and even used the music as temp music when they were editing. Wow, that's a good story. Thanks. <laughs> Question number six. Which millennial filmmaker said this? For me, personally, it came at a time when I was 18 and Sandler was already such a hero of mine. And I love Paul Thomas Anderson's work. And the two worlds colliding was kind of groundbreaking for me. Safty brother. Was it A, Barry Jenkins? B, Josh Safty? C, Damien Chazelle? Or D, Greta Gerwig? B, Josh Safty. Ding, ding, ding. All right. She's beating you, Justin. It's two to one. I think I should get bonus points because I didn't even hear the A, B, C, or Ds. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but I will say that. You're impressed. This final question is worth three points. Question number seven. Which Gen Z actor said this? I was hanging out with some drama friends one night. <laughs> and we decided to watch something funny. We randomly chose an Adam Sandler comedy that we thought had a cool poster. Punch Drunk Love. I sat there watching and then something happened. It clicked. I was inside the world of an introvert, the way I'd only been reading in books. Oh. 
Adam Sandler clued me into a world I'd never been, and then it was over. Was it A, Timothy Chalamet, B, Zendaya, C, Tom Holland, or D, Jenna Ortega? Jenna Ortega. Justin, for the win. Timothy Chalamet. Ding, ding, ding! Damn, I almost said Chalamet, but... This is the best game ever! (laughs) Justin wins the Punch Drunk Club quiz. Now, see, isn't that interesting? That you heard about how Timothy Chalamet... It's almost like Timothy Chalamet was on the pod because he explained his origin. You know what's a better title for the movie? What? Uh, Punch Crunk Love. Hey, nice bringing it back. Right straight to the beginning. Hey, you started it. Well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your pods. And Justin, let the people know what movie we'll be watching next week. Next week, we're watching 1989's Sea of Love, starring Al Pacino and Ellen Barkin. Come with us, Potters. Maybe this is what the song will be next episode. Bye! (laughs) Hey! If you even make it back next week. (laughs) And as always, folks, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later, taters. Bye. See ya. Cinema, test, 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 test